0: Welcome everybody you're listening to the Breakfast Show on Faith FM eighty-seven point six, eighty-seven point eight, 87.8 or 88 right across Australia right across the Faith FM network wherever you are positively different radio in the morning you're with the double L team Lyle and Lawson Lawson what are you thankful for this morning I know what you're thankful for what? this morning I'm here of course! That's just that, the, the top of your list! What that, else could that's you be thankful right! For? Oh, so thankful that you're
1: back while, that you're well and healthy, living your keep, best going, life. Keep, going, you know, keep, that you have stop, so much to stop. contribute to the show <laughs> like your silly laugh and monologues and.
0: Uh, Other things. <laughs> <laughs> what are you really thankful for this morning Lawson? um
1: oh let's see hey i talked about this yesterday but i'm gonna talk about it today because it is kind of becoming a reality um i'm a part of the adventist youth for christ uh podcast this year so basically we have the advent ayc it's like the the conference that runs i believe it's in january this it's got to be in january next year yes and they have a road to ayc podcast i'm featured on it and the first episode drops tonight and we're talking all about witnessing talking all about how that applies in in our content in pretty much every context but you know it's Young adult, uh, young adult kind of voices getting into it. So fantastic stuff! Sounds super exciting. uh, Yeah, I'm super keen. Like it's gonna be, it's gonna be really, really awesome. And and I'm super glad to be a part of the project. What are you
0: grateful for, Lyle? Oh, well, I'm I'm here, which is good. That's always positive. Um, (laughs) I am grateful for. I'm grateful for. I'm grateful that I've got less floor in my house. Oh, Oh, okay. So if you walk into certain parts of my house right now. It's just joists and dirt. Why is that? You put it in. Because I ripped the floor up. Okay. Are you just gonna leave it like that? Well, it did cross my mind for about (laughs) half a millisecond. Uh, (laughs) but no, I'm closer to having a new floor, one that might be actually have less than six inches of slope in it. Kinda gotta have walking hiking boots to get from one side of my kitchen (laughs) to the other at the moment.
1: You're listening to the Breakfast Joe podcast on Faith
0: FM. Positively different. Uh, in Egypt, sorry. There you go. Fantastic stuff. All right, if you know the answer, you know the number to call. Give us a call right now. Great prize coming your direction. Mm-hmm. Lawson, tell us some positively different news this morning. All
1: right, Lyle, I've found a
0: business venture for us.
1: Oh, okay. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you know, we we hear at Faith FM, and you might hear the ads I- every now and again. We talk about our dollar a day system and and funding us and whatnot. Lyle, I found a business venture that's going to help us. So there is a an asteroid. It's right. called Psyche sixteen. It's floating out somewhere between Mars and Jupiter, out that direction, um, and it is a massive lump of iron that's apparently worth. $10,000 quadrillion dollars. Ooh. <laughs> it's a 100- hundred... So, so, from the scans that they've done... Throw and, a lasso and, and, around this thing. And from what they've seen, it's a 140-mile-wide uh, asteroid that's floating towards us in space. Oops. <laughs> like, it's not going to hit us because of, like, the magnosphere and whatever and all the asteroids that get towards us, if they're big enough, they just, like, float around us or whatever. But, um, dude... It's it's 140 diameters wide and di- 140 miles in diameter. Yes, and they're, and they're saying that yeah, it's completely made out of iron and nickel, so it's essentially worth a hundred. No, sorry, ten thousand quadrillion dollars, which is seventy thousand times the GDP. And I really wonder as I read this, I'm like, I'm like, okay, but if this comes into you know. Because people would be like, if we were oh, able to the- land
0: this thing <laughs> safely on Earth. We would have iron to last for the rest of eternity. Yeah, but then what we would, would happen run dude? Out.
1: the inflation and prices? And due Australia, we'd be stuffed. Like we'd be, we'd it- be done for in terms of our exports. Like because yes. you know, because we give so much iron to the world, to China to all over it the would place. Would drop
0: the price of iron significantly, but, but the- where would you put it? I know, it's, dude, it's 140 miles in diameter. Yeah, we could find somewhere to put that in the middle of Australia, I'm sure. <laughs> but it would reach outside of our atmosphere. Oh. It would unbalance the world
1: somehow It would literally send us into a spiral and kill the whole world. <laughs> but but it's worth $10,000 tri- quadrillion. We just need dollars. to take a
0: slice off. Take a slice off at a time.
1: That's right. We need to send space... Space crews and engineers. It's kind of like the movie Armageddon. You just need to go and blow it up into a bunch of different pieces and just suck some of the pieces in. But hey, is this has actually become the subject of NASA's 2022 space mission? They're going to send an orbiter out to basically go to it and do a bunch of tests.
0: They're- so this should be a really place, a really easy place to send uh, a spacecraft to because all you'd have to do is put a big magnet on the front of your spacecraft.
1: Mm. And it's just going to go there, right? Well, I, I guess so. Just like- <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's right. Something like that. Well, it's big enough. We've, uh, we've landed okay. landers on comets and we've taken. We We've taken, um, samples from them and whatnot. And when you've got, dude, 140 miles in diameter, like, that. that's massive, dude. Yes. So, so this is, this is what they're doing. They want to go and they, they want to determine the mass of it. And, you know, if it's actually iron and nickel and if they want to see as well, if this is just a random media or potentially like the beginning of an, you know, the core of a planet or, you know, they, they just want to, do all this oh, research so is it and get collecting, it done.
0: Is it collecting dust and yeah. rocks and is it getting mm. bigger?
1: Yeah, that's right. Before, you know, then it encases itself in an outer crust and the inside gets really hot and it becomes like a, a new planet, so to speak. But yeah, so it's super, super interesting. Um, they've been doing a bunch of research and they're trying to get out there as soon as possible. But Lyle, I think if we can, you know, if we can just like jimmy something up in your backyard, just make a a little space lander and, and, and take some chunks out of this thing. We could, we could fund faith FM, you know, until, for a long time until Jesus comes back. Yes. <laughs> we could, we could reach the whole world. Oh, you guys could help us <laughs> too. Um, so dude, so, so good. I read that this morning. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Hey, another cool news. I've talked a few times, um, on the show about nuclear fusion, the race that's currently going on between different countries and different private companies to be able to get there. And one, uh, one company, it's called CFS or Commonwealth Fusion systems. They've created a magnet that they think is going to let them achieve nuclear fusion. Um, and this magnet, uh, generated an electric field of 20 Tesla, which if you don't know what that is, it's the, it's the most powerful magnet that exists on Earth. Um, but it generated double the field of 20 Tesla, the most powerful magnet ever created. Though it's also, you know, 50,000 times stronger than the magnetosphere, which is like the magnetic field that surrounds the Earth and makes sure nothing hits us. Um, for five hours, and they reckon through this magnet they're going to be able to because how a fusion reactor essentially works, nuclear fusion, is that you heat helium, sorry, hydrogen, up so uh, so hot that it turns, then it squeezes into itself, turned into helium. helium, plasma's created, which is like a gas that powers everything, and essentially just we have free unlimited energy. Now this is really difficult to do because you have to heat things up to hundreds of millions. Of yes, it's not free but- degrees. But if you can create more energy that is used... Yes. ...which they think they can, then, then it's essentially free. Right. Then it's essentially free. Um, and But the the target time for these reactors, even though we're seeing prototypes and everything, they're like, nah, they're not going to be able to, to actually make, sustain, make any type of energy until around 2040. That's what they're putting it in right now. But since testing this magnet and since using it, they reckon by 2025... They're going to have working prototypes that have the ability to power things, which to we, we're we in 20. Don't we're almost in 2022. dude. That is not far away in three years. Like, and they reckon because of this magnet as well, they could make the fusion reactors like heaps smaller too. So this is like, this is the step right here. This is, this is what they're trying to do. And um, dude, oh, that would be so cool until, you know, you boot one of these things up and, something goes wrong and you have nuclear fallout and blow up the entirety of Australia or something.
0: (laughs) But, you know, human beings are amazing. The things that we discover, the things that we are actually able to accomplish is just remarkable. Remarkable, yeah. And you know, you just you, you read stories like this, and it's like, what does the future hold? Where is mm. our, you know? I have a granddaughter. What what kind of world is she going to be living in that's if right. time was to continue? Yeah, that's
1: right. I kind that's of right. expected that it won't, but it really does does boggle the mind. It's interesting. As I was studying, like, as I was studying, as I was kind of researching both of these stories, you know, looking at these asteroids, and 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 like, and then with the the story of the magnet. Considering like the magnosphere and all this stuff, I was like, man, our world is just so perfectly made to be able to, to achieve these things, to be able to protect us. Um, and, and I believe because it is made, it's got us in mind. And one of this really epic story that's gone worldwide that really highlights God's creation from right here on the Sapphire coast in New South Wales, basically southern New South Wales. There was a, um, over, I think it was yesterday, there was a pod of whales what they call a the super pod of oh. 80 whales wow. all like together in the sea, feeding and whatnot. So they got a helicopter out there and they're
0: filming 80. it from 80 whales. You know, whales have to be one of the greatest success stories of uh, that, that we've ever seen of, you know, species that were driven to the brink of extinction, but have mm. come back. Yeah, that's come right. come back Really well.
1: And they're doing really well. And now they just hang out off the coast of Australia and eat together. And they've got like a little community. Dude, 80, that's a strong church, dude. They've got a little community. They're hanging out with one another. Um, and yeah, this news has gone worldwide. I actually read this. I read about this initially um, on ABC and then it was on BBC and then it was in the States as well. And so for for a lot of like, um, you know, marine biologists, conservationists, they're like seeing this as a massive success and evidence of the work that they've done trying to, preserve whales and and trying to bring them back from extinction so this is just like super sick the footage that's coming out is really cool you've got just a ton of whales like swimming around hanging out with one another eating food so really just awesome stuff coming out of that space and it's good to see that whales are flourishing once again you're listening to the breakfast show podcast on faith fm positively different
0: but right now, we're going to talk about gun violence in the United States. Oof. So this is a this is a hotly debated subject, and That's right. what we've seen happen over the last twelve months has been a massive surge in gun violence, and we're just starting to see the stats and the research coming out uh, involving this. And particularly, uh, what is concerning is the record surge in gun deaths amongst children. Mm. So children dying as a result of gun violence, and so uh, gun injuries in Houston have gone up by fifty percent in Hartford, Connecticut, by three hundred percent in Fort Worth, by forty percent in Me- Memphis, by sixty uh, have doubled. Sorry, and in Win- Wisconsin have doubled. So these are just some mm. examples, and this has all been over the last twelve months. Yeah! Wow. And so you would wonder why. What is driving this? Why are, are children being so much more harmed by guns in the last uh, 12 months than previous to this particular point? Mm. I mean, these are massive jumps in figures. Yeah. You know, this is not just a an upswing. This is not, you know, the stats sort of wandering up and down as they mm. do. This is a very, very sharp jump up. Okay. Yeah. Now, initially... Uh, people, when they sort of started to see these stats, they're like, well, you know, this is kind of obvious. You've got lots of lockdowns. Lockdowns create a high level of domestic violence. Uh, you've got lots of children who are, are at home, which means that children have more access to guns that are improperly stored at home, etc. And so there's going to be more accidental deaths. There's going to be more violent deaths. But what is interesting about that is that children shot at home has dropped to just 8%. Okay, wait, wait, so wait. So, this is not children being shot at home that is driving these figures up. It's children being shot on the streets. Wow. So, this is not lockdown you're dealing with here. Mm. This, is, this is really, really serious stuff. It's a massive, basically, a massive surge in street violence. And a lot of it is children who are caught in the crossfires. Very, very rare that children are actually targeted by gun violence. And so it's usually crossfire or random drive bys.
1: Yeah, I wanna ask the question, when we say children, what are we are we classifying that as people under the age under of eighteen? Under the age of eighteen. Yeah, well which makes a lot of sense, like particularly in low socioeconomic areas like where you've got higher levels of, you know, just street violence and gang violence and whatnot, and that being played up particularly in the United States between people with firearms. Um yeah there are plenty of stories all the time of people getting caught in the crossfire, and I feel like since the heightened tensions of everything that happened last year, you'd definitely see an increase and in upswing in that, so yeah that's heavy
0: okay, so let 's continue on and let 's look at for look for some more causes for this. okay, in the past, traditionally uh, these kind of gun deaths have taken place at night mm. uh, that's when you you know the vast majority of the gang violence and so forth takes place mm. is at night uh, that it has now moved and is continuing to move. Uh, now 50% half of these gun deaths are daytime shootings wow so the daytime shootings on the streets mm. and so you have to ask okay what's what's causing you know the brazenness yeah of this because this is very very brazen you know violence that is people are sort of very very unconcerned about being you know tackled by the police and so forth because it's mm. going around in broad daylight and shooting People up,
1: and then just driving off, and, and then just yeah. driving
0: up. Okay, so 330 teens were uh, surveyed in New York City uh, within high crime suburbs. 81% said that they had either been shot or shot at. Yeah. So this was across uh, five different high crime suburbs. 81% of teens had either been shot or shot at in the last 12 months. Uh, across the United States since the beginning of the year there has been 13,000 gun deaths uh for the first half of the year so the projection is 26,000 for the year if you compare that with last year which was one of the highest which was the highest uh in the last 20 years it was 19,000 for the entire year mm. so the projection is for 26,000 this year 19,000 wow. for last year so this is really really um, going up a lot, and homicides are up by thirty percent because you know gun deaths include you know accidental deaths, suicides. Mm. You know, Alaska has the highest uh, gun death rate of any state in the United States, but has a very low homicide rate. Mm. They have a very high suicide rate, um, and so but homicides are up by thirty percent. Um, and research has indicated this has not been in relationship to a surge in uh, either gun sales or jail releases or bail reforms. Mm. And so uh, the big thing that, of course, has changed is defund the police. Yeah. And you you look at those stats coming out of uh, New York City, uh, you've got New York City where, you know, those those, those five suburbs, you've got uh, 81% of teens... Who have either been shot or shot at? Mm. Uh, this is a city in which they have taken 1.1 billion dollars out of the police force. Wow! And redirected it towards uh, what was it? Towards social workers, counsellors, and community violence interrupters. There's I would not want to be one of those. Oh, community that violence sounds like interrupters. the worst job. <laughs> you go into a violent situation and you don't have pepper spray, pepper spray, uh, baton, taser, or gun. You're like, hey, guys, calm down. But there's there's all kinds of hubs.
1: Like, I I recently watched a documentary about gun violence and how it's playing out in young people in the United States. And there's a bunch of different hubs throughout the United States. Jacksonville, Florida is another one of them, um, where, you know, it's playing out through through gang culture, through music culture. Like, uh, yeah, just all these people because the thing that you mentioned there is the brazenness yeah and people particularly through the advent of the social media like people literally getting on their social media and they call it like self snitching getting on and being like i'm going to take you out da 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 and then brazenly shooting them in the street and then seeing no repercussions like it's wild like this stuff is really happening
0: In uh, Across the United States, the homicide rate is 4.4 per 100,000. If you compare that with Australia, we have one per 100,000. So it's almost four times higher than Mm. Australia. Um, If you compare gun ownership in the United States, 120.5 per 100 people, whereas Australia is 13.7 per 100 people. And so those stats don't actually line up with each other. What that indicates is... um, not a problem with guns itself, but a problem with a very broken culture. Mm. If you compare the United States with its next nearest rival, uh, which would be Switzerland, and you've got to remember that Switzerland is a country in which every male over the age of eighteen is required to have an assault rifle in his home, mm. and has you know the second highest uh, you know private gun ownership anywhere in the world at forty one point two, and they have a homicide rate of something like zero point nine you know, of 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 gun deaths, sorry, a gun death rate of 0.9. Mm. And so you have a very, very different culture between this. In fact, it's interesting to look at the countries that have the highest uh, numbers of gun ownership in the world. You've got Iceland, uh, Finland, Austria, Cyprus, uh, Canada and Germany, uh, the countries that have the, other than Swiss, Switzerland and the United States that are right at the top, these are the ones that have the highest levels of gun ownership anywhere in the world. And yet, if you want to look for the highest homicide rates, you are going to go to places like, well, Venezuela comes in uh, at the top at forty nine point yeah. seven three per one hundred thousand. Wow, um, Jamaica thirty five point two two per one hundred thousand, and you know, they only only have, you know, Jamaica has the same has a a much smaller, I should say, uh, private gun ownership at 8.1 per 100 than what Australia does.
1: Wow.
0: Wow, Okay. yeah. Yeah. Much lower rate. This is a problem in our culture today, a problem of violence, and it tells us that Jesus is coming back soon. We need to be ready for him.
1: You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different.
0: Yes, and Darren has just texted through to say, can I just say, I love your producer's taste in music. Hey, there you go. Go, producer Shell. I think that was the second time in a row that we've had uh, um, some really positive comments through for Shell's music selections it's so funny because we cop so much heat
1: because we just say a bunch of stuff you know and and yes whereas shell is just universally praised <laughs> by everyone for just being the best producer putting in the best music like this is very awesome
0: true. <laughs> joining us on the phone this morning it is wednesday that means that we talk to david helped david welcome to the show
2: good morning gentlemen it's a lovely day up here where i live Sun is shining that's I fantastic. Well.
0: We have the sun shining here today as well, which is nice because the last couple of days have been kind of rainy and dreary. Uh, you're up in the north of the
2: state, I'm taking it? Please send us some rain. No, you it need some rain. We appreciate it. We
0: okay. yeah, we need it. All right. we, will, um, we will send up prayers on your behalf and uh, see if we can get that organised for you, David. David, this Thank morning you. we're talking about something that is a little bit close to my heart. I'm going to share with you why. I grew up in a single-parent home and uh, when I was a teenager at the age of 15, uh, my father remarried and, of course, you know, we thought that would just be like, you know, that's it's just that's what's going to happen and we'll just continue moving on with life. It's not what happened. My brother and I ended up leaving home and uh, this is in spite of the best efforts by everyone involved. Why is step-parenting so challenging and why is it that, you know, I mean, as kids, we kind of felt like we went through a divorce when this happened. What's what's going on with step parenting? This is a this is a big issue in our world today. It's very common. Uh, what can we learn about this one?
2: Now, while there's great blessings in step parenting, there's also great pitfalls. And often, uh, couples, when they fall in love, uh, they do not think things through and they do not talk about things. And there's very clear. Uh, areas or pitfalls that couples need to work through. Uh, You know, when death happens in a a marriage or when mental health issues bring about separation or infidelity or whatever the situation might be, there's not just two people involved. uh, When there's kids, there's the entire family that needs to be considered. And uh, when two people fall in love, that's not necessarily... Meaning that the kids also fall in love with that person straight away. So sometimes the greatest effort could be, you know, put in. But if if uh, there's not a cautious approach to this, that relationship, and especially as in your own case, the the situation of those kids could mean that they leave home, and therefore the father or the mother, whichever is the one that is still present. Um, actually do not only lose a partner but lose their kids as well
0: now one of the one of the challenging you know and I'm just sort of going to draw a little bit on my own experience in this interview my brother and I felt like we went through a divorce of kinds and this would seem strange because we've got a you know stepmother coming into the home and you would think that she's actually going to fill some kind of a a void to some extent. I mean, she certainly tried uh, to fill a void that had been left there. But we felt that the moment that she moved into the home, we just got cut off from our father. What's going on there?
2: This is one of the key areas of um, that, that a couple need to work through. In other words, what role will that step in play in the life of those kids? Um, Is this going to mean that this individual, uh, let's say in your case, a mother, stepmother stepping in, is is she going to be expected to be the disciplinarian? Is she now going to take the role as mother? Uh, So often kids are not ready to accept that individual as a mother. And therefore, uh, if, if that individual doesn't step into that role as a, stepmother very carefully, navigating her life, talking with her partner through what role would you like me to play in this relationship, what role would the kids like me to play. Often, uh, Lyle, it is far more important for a stepparent to be very cautious, to slowly build a relationship even before marriage starts. Uh, and even after the marriage, purely to be a supporter, not to try to take the place of that mother. Because there's a biological, there's a DNA connection whether the mother is still alive or, or passed on. There's a connection there. And in the child's mind, uh, their identity is with that parent and their father in in, in your case. At the moment someone else steps into that role, The child feels that uh, there's a choice that the father had taken against them for this other individual. And that is typically what's happened there with you. Uh, My strong caution to to step parents would be to first become a friend and spend time with those kids. Focus on the positive. Do not become the disciplinarian. I'd rather try to win the confidence of those kids as a friend, and allow the kids to determine to what level of parenting they would want that uh, individual to be. So, so I had
0: some, so after, I, yeah. So I had some very strange things that you know took place. You know, and and some of what you say there. You know, my parents and stepmother certainly. You know, we we talked it through, and you know, my my new stepmother, she was only fifteen years older than me, so she was a, a younger wife for my dad, um, and it. Um, and, and so we we discussed it through and said, well, you know, we we can let's let's consider her as being like an older sister, a new older sister moving into the home. But one of the challenges I found was that when she tried to help us out with stuff that normally you would be super thankful for, like, you know, simple things like doing your washing or, you know, making lunches or whatever, which, you know, I guess a normal mother would do. I remember actually resenting that. Why would I have resented that?
2: Well, I would have loved to have taken into the counselling room and asked you some very personal questions because somewhere with the loss of your mother lies the key. And um, I'm not sure whether... You know, there has been a a major lapse of time after the loss of your mum, the death of your mum, versus when this new lady uh, came in. But there's a yearning in your child's mind to have your own mother. And this lady, well-meaningly, still had taken on a role, a vacuum that you experienced in your life. And you didn't want someone else to fill that vacuum. You wanted your mother to fill that vacuum.
0: What about the relationship between children and their parents in a single parent home? And you know, in, in my situation, you know, I, I, I guess I'm making this this interview a little bit more personal this morning. This is you're getting to hear the uh, the personal counselling session between David and Lyle on there this morning, but that's fantastic. Uh, what about the relationship between? Children and their parents in a single-parent home, is that a different relationship? Is it a closer relationship? Does it have different dynamics uh, than what would normally take place? And is that relationship kind of... What, what happens to that relationship when somebody else comes in?
2: Well, there's there's no, uh, you know, one, one model fits all. Uh, each family dynamic is different to the other. And... Um, I have a, a daughter that uh, their marriage broke up. Uh, she's uh, for years been a, a single mother caring for a child. And um, it's difficult. It's difficult. There is that constant yearning for that other half. God, I believe, God designed children to have both of these the softer side of the mother and then the, the stronger. Not, not the heart, but the stronger side of, of a father that gives them that more rounded approach to life. And um, so in a single-parent home, there will still be that yearning. And sometimes, in your case, a father would try to juggle both roles, but it is not perfect. And I uh, can manage that. but the mo- and, and, and therefore, children grow very close to their parents. They've already lost one parent. They grew very close to, to the other one. Now there is someone else stepping in to the father's life, which in other words, in the child's mind, is taking the father away from them. Mm, mm. So, so that individual is an intruder, not intended to be that, but in the child's mind, so often, it is taking the, the focus, the energy, the relationship, the time that parents and child would spend, only the two of them together, suddenly now is shared with a third party.
0: It, uh, and I guess in many ways, my experience was somewhat atypical. I think the majority of single parent homes in Australia would have single mothers rather than single fathers. Would that be correct?
2: very very true yeah and what is and the, you will yeah. find you will find that often fathers will uh, you know marry much earlier in order to uh, to, to have someone for their kids uh, which which immediately places that uh, new you know the stepmother in a very uh, precarious position
0: now that's interesting why is it that single mothers are more reticent to marry again much sooner to have a father figure for their children?
2: Because of the hurt and the injury that they've experienced so often, especially in Australia where there is some support for single mothers, uh, mothers don't want to go through the same pain and therefore sometimes uh, years will go by while the father uh, in, in a traditional sense is still the breadwinner and uh, feels that, you know, he's got to change his life in order to care for kids. Having a female in his life would make things so much easier.
0: Why is it that there's so much more support for single mothers in Australia than what there is for single fathers? Do single mothers need more support than single fathers do?
2: I think both need similar support. We need community support, and there's a fair bit of argument at the moment in social welfare about giving fathers more rights. Um, for years there was only, you know, uh, maternity leave for mums. Uh, but nowadays we talk more about maternity leave for dads as well. So we are starting to recognise more and more the fact that parents, or, uh, fathers also have very similar needs as, you know, of support as, as a mother.
0: Mm. With step-parenting, are there different ages where it is, harder or less hard to, you know, bring that other person into the home, you know, for the children, different ages for children, like, for instance, you know, very young children as compared to, um, say, teenagers, so forth?
2: Well, I would suggest that for very small kids, it's far easier to to step into that role. But uh, keep in mind that the scenario changes is that, uh, let's say a mother's we're talking about a stepmother here, let's imagine that that stepmother has children of her own then immediately there's a whole new dynamics of potential conflict developing in in that family home, because what if her new husband is treating his kids different to how he treats her kids Mm. Um, Mm. so it changes the dynamic straight away but it is your your more older kids, um, you know, 9, 10, 11, your teenagers, that struggle with a, I'm putting inverted commas, an intruder in the relationship that they used to have with their father or, you know, with their single mum. And uh, the attention is immediately doubled. So I would strongly recommend that, um, you know, that... that a couple that decides about getting married, and one is going to be a step parent, that they talk about this. Talk about that, that the actual biological parent stays to be the disciplinarian. That uh, who, who will be the one that will care. That that step parent be cautious about not getting you know jealous when the biological parents of the child. Spend special time with his kids. Now, the dynamics changes again if, let's say, in the scenario that we're talking about, that the biological mother is still alive. There is important times in a child's life where both biological parents need to be communicating with each other. Is this going to cause a rift in that new relationship? Um, Do we now expect that the children disconnect from, let's say, the biological mother. Uh, all of those kind of scenarios is great potential for major conflict and the kids are the ones that can suffer in the process.
0: Within our church we have a, you know, a, a, a thing where you know, new couples, if are getting married, we put them through a course, a, a premarital marital course, put, through, put them through some counselling before their wedding. Not so much with second marriages because we kind of look at, well, you know what you're doing, you've been here, you've done this before. Is that wise? Should, should people who are getting married a second time around go through a course and should it be a different course, you know, particularly when children are involved in step-parenting issues come up uh, before they get married?
2: I did my studies at the University of Port Elizabeth in premarital program and I was taught the process by which I sit down with couples, whether they, uh, their first marriage or second or third marriage, where I actually look for the differences that eventually will spark problems in the marriage. Mm. So I sit down with them, they fill out documentation for me. I put those two documentations next to each other and I start to analyze and I look for red flags in in their past. A, a couple that has already been through divorce has between 50 to 80% chance to go through divorce as well, again.
0: Yeah, that's so, a pretty, yeah, some serious figures there.
2: Do we, do we really want to do that or can we actually take precautionary steps and actually help that couple. I believe it's vital for them to go through a premarital program.
0: David help! thank you so much for joining us talking about this uh, very important subject that affects so many people around us right now. Unfortunately, we're out of time. Thanks for being a part of the Faith FM family.
2: Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.